making those personal connections outside the meeting, talking about the grandkids or the cats or the the, the day job. Um, it, it's that concept of helping to build that personal bank account. Um, and I'm putting deposits into that bank account that later on I might need to make a withdrawal. And um, if I've made enough of those deposits and those those positive uh, moments with that person, then hopefully they'll be okay with me making that withdrawal and asking something of them. On this episode of Slow Smoke Business, we're talking to the Honorable Casey Jones. Now, Casey has had a long career in business, but he's also moved into the public space in politics. And we want to talk to Casey about what are the ingredients, what are the things, the traits that you need to have in order to both succeed in business and publicly and move your idea forward. We're really excited about today's guest. Uh, this is somebody that I go back pretty far with, having grown up in Pensacola. But more importantly than that, he currently serves uh, on the city council there, representing District 3. Uh, he's also had a very long and prestigious career in leadership and leadership consultation. Uh, welcome to the show, the Honorable Mr. Casey Jones. Thanks so much. <laughs> First time we've been to introduce somebody with the word honorable in front of them. They'll never put that in front of Frank or I, so. <laughs> it's never going to feel right to me. <laughs> so, Casey, it's so nice to meet you. Uh, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, I would love it if we could start by, if you could give us kind of like a little brief history of how in the world is somebody, you know, in the business world and and relatively young and, and not deep, super deep into your career yet. Um, how do you end up on the city council? It's funny. I, I grew up in Pensacola, like we said, and um, just really love the city, love being here. I moved away for a few years whenever the uh, area was really kind of in a downturn. I'd say the economy was down in uh, 2010, 2011. Um, I actually quit my job and went and hiked the Appalachian Trail for about five months. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the whole thing? Mm, Two thirds of it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just something where I was like, I got to do something different. Um, I, I was about to turn 30 at the time and just wanted to, to get out and go. Uh, when I came back, I actually took a job uh, about 70 miles away over in Destin um, and while I was gone, this whole revitalization of Pensacola started happening and it was exciting to me. Um, fortunately I met my wife, which brought me back to Pensacola and, um, it, just really getting interested in the politics of, of the city, uh, really less the politics, more the development and just the growth and, and liking, you know, I liked seeing Pensacola turn into the type of city that I wanted it to be. I wanted to be involved in that. So I, I actually heard that the person that was in the seat that I'm in now wasn't running again. Um, and that just kind of sparked my interest. I, I, I hadn't even really thought about it before that, uh, but I decided to run and fortunately ran unopposed. So it was a, oh, wow. <laughs> a smooth sailing right into the seat. Uh, but uh, I would say the lack of opposition stopped uh, as soon as I got into office. <laughs> I want to dive into some of your business stuff yet, but that's like the super interesting part of talking to somebody like you. So when you when you put yourself out there and you say, I'm going to run for office, um, the first thing you have to, I guess, get super comfortable with is just the level of criticism 
that you're going to face in, in a role like that. And people are going to sit back and just fire arrows at you. And they've got absolutely nothing invested in criticizing you because if they're wrong, nothing happens to them. Um, if they're right, then a lot of bad things can happen for who they're criticizing. So tell me about the process of, you know, when did that start? I guess, when did you start seeing criticism as you moved into that role? I'd say it was like the very first full city council meeting that we had. There was a, a big contentious issue um, with Community Maritime Park, which I'm sure both of you are familiar with. It's a, a park that was used to be a, a site that was contaminated, and they cleaned it up years ago. Uh, the city voted on what they wanted to see there. And other than the baseball field that's there now, it mostly sat empty and still sits empty um, and, and hasn't gotten the development that they planned on having there. Well, the first meeting was, all right, let's 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 start voting on this new um, development that, that wants to come in there and, and let's see if we can approve a lease for these people. And there's four new people in the city council. Uh, none of us had any kind of preparation for this and we're all just kind of like, oh, wow, this is a big issue. <laughs> And and you're no matter what decision you make, I've I've realized that you're going to make somebody unhappy. So it's it's you know trying to represent the people of my district, um, and and do what they want me to do. But there's no way to represent all of them and 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 uh, the decision that they want me to make. So it's also using the knowledge that I've gained and man, the past year and a half since I've been on council, that's been all I've tried to do is, is gain knowledge so that I can make the right decisions um, for the city. So where does the hate come from exactly? Is it is it Twitter? Is it is it in the media or is it where, where, where are you seeing a lot of like the criticism? So I learned about two months ago that I should not rely on the feedback that comes from social media. Um, specifically Facebook is what, what happened in this situation. There's a road, um, Summit Boulevard, which I'm sure you guys are also familiar with. It's a pretty short road. It's four lanes on one section, doesn't have much traffic, and some people want to reduce it down to two lanes. So we decided we're going to vote to do a study to see what would happen if we did that. That is like the first thing that really got people in my district engaged. Um, and I decided to speak up about it on social media and immediately got blasted. And uh, that, that was really the, the, the first big criticism that I got. Of course, you know, with, with all these other decisions, people are, are going to speak out, um, but it was much more general. Then This time it was, aren't you supposed to be representing the people in your district? Why are you getting so defensive? Why are you defending this idea? Um, and it was more, you know, I, I realized that on social media, especially uh, explaining why you support something sometimes comes off as being a being defensive and and uh, you know trying to push your agenda on someone uh, when really I was just you know trying to explain why I thought it was a good idea. <laughs> if people have it in to try to criticize you or or, or whatnot, it's um, you don't get a lot of points. People don't get a lot of points for changing their mind, right? And so um, they're going to take shots and and that. Now, did you? So before you were in politics, you worked for um, you were you had a nice career in leadership and sort of business consulting, and you were working with Studer Group for a while. Is that right? Yeah, I worked with Studer Group for about six years um, up until um, right at the end of 2020 and beginning of 2021. Um, the organization kind of went away. It was absorbed into the company that purchased them here on and left shortly after that. 
So Studer Group, for people that don't know, is an is just an amazing organization. If you're from Pensacola, like you're super aware of Studer Group and the great things that um, their leader has done and the company has done. Sort of just an awesome organization. Talk a little bit about um, what it's like to work in an organization like that 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 people from the outside recognize in such a positive way. It, it's tough at times. <laughs> it, it was really I learned a ton while I was there, and that was uh, something that. I've learned over time is, is to, to try to be that lifelong learner where uh, that's the only way you're going to grow and, and continue to improve your career, especially. But, uh, you know, working there was tough because everybody was such a high performer. They have this really intense hiring process. Um, it took me about seven months to get on. Uh, I think I have five different interviews, uh, so, but, I, but I really wanted to work there because I knew a lot about them and read some of the books um, that, that Quint Suter had written and um, just stuck with it until I got on. I remember having a conversation with uh, someone else that had been there for a while, um, and, and I saw him as like, you know, at this really high level. And, uh, and he was, uh, and we were having a conversation about how it's sometimes difficult in that type of environment. And, and he agreed that, you know, everybody around you is such a high performer. It's hard to stand out where at previous jobs, you know, you could be the shining star pretty easily, uh, if you just do the work you need to do and, and, uh, push a little harder, it, it was more difficult to do that in that situation. So you've been in other organizations that didn't have like an all-star cast like that. How do those two organizations compare in, in terms of what they're able to do? You know, I, I think having that all-star cast really is what pushed uh, pushed that organization along and and helped them to, you know, eventually sell for, I think it was two hundred and fifty million dollars or something. Uh, you know, it was a it was an organization that was known for having a lot of high performing employees. Um, and, and we had to have that because that was what we helped other organizations do. Um, and, and because of that, we had a really good reputation amongst those companies. And it was primarily healthcare organizations that we worked with. And, um, you know, I, I think because of that also, we were able to charge a premium for the work that we did. We were, I remember someone saying when I first started, we were kind of the Louis Vuitton of, uh, of consul- consultancies. So, uh, that was, that was something that I, I really enjoyed doing. Is that is that a good thing? I think that's a good thing, right? I think they meant it probably think so, meant it yeah. in a good way. It's something that um, you know could hurt you in, in an economic downturn. Sometimes, you know, when when COVID came along, uh, there was a big switch in the type of uh, the way we had to sell what we were doing. Um, you know, people were a little little hesitant to spend quite as much money, especially these healthcare organizations that we worked with when. You know, all their surgical services shut down overnight. Um, all their clinics would close for for months, and these are the places that we're going to every day uh, doing work. So it was uh, it was something that you know having that premium product uh, could sometimes maybe hurt the organization as well. But I think for the most part, it's it's what uh, helped the organization grow and do as well as it did. So, Casey, we've talked a little bit about your your business consulting background and a little bit about your city council. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the overlap. Like, what are some things that you learned uh, in the business side that have translated really well into your experience in city council? I'll say before working at Studer Group, I was actually in hospitality for a little over a decade, uh, mostly in hotel resort management. Um, and and that went really in, 
really well into what we did at Studer Group, which was improving patient experience through employee engagement. So it was a lot of the the people skills that um, are sometimes thought of as soft skills. I I think that both of those things have really helped me um, get into the public sector and dealing with that criticism that you talked about earlier. Uh, you know, I I said that I got out of hospitality because I was tired of getting yelled at. <laughs> you know, you get to a certain level, and the only time you get to talk to people is when they're upset about something. Um, but over time, I realized uh, that was really something that I enjoyed doing because I had these problems that I got to solve. And that's something that, uh, you know, keeps things interesting is trying to pro- solve a problem. So determining what the issue is, why this person's upset and how I can fix that. Uh, and that's something that that really I've focused on since being in, on city council is what are the problems that we're seeing in the city and how can I help change those? So, uh, you know, oftentimes I'm criticized because I might bring an ordinance to city council that really doesn't affect my district as much as you think it would. Uh, maybe it's something in the downtown area that, that I'm addressing. Uh, a couple things like booting cars and and uh, private parking lots. You know, people are pretty upset when they come out and there's a boot on their car and they've got to pay $200 to get it off. So regulating that industry um I worked on uh, helping to allow food trucks be on public streets where there was an old ordinance that kept that from happening. That was, I think, 30 years old and nobody had addressed it. So things like that, that, you know, I start to see that people are maybe a little dramatic to say suffering, um, but but people are are, uh, having issues with the ordinance that we have on the books and they're affecting them in, in a way that's negative. Uh, that's where I say, okay, how can I help solve this problem uh, and start to dig into that? So that's, that's really been my approach on city council. When it comes to uh, like de-escalating situations, I'm sure there's some specific skills that you learned in hospitality and then in your leadership consulting. What are some of the specific things that you're able to do when you see a problem coming you know, what's your like mental checklist to kind of get ready for that and help defuse something? Yeah. So the first thing for me is to to take a personal approach. Uh, you know, I talked about the the road. I'm going to use the term road diet. If y'all haven't heard that yet, it's where you, you're kind of shrinking a road. Uh, we talked about where those, those folks were really upset about that. And the ones that I was getting the most pushback whenever I was talking to them on Facebook I was like, okay, I got to shut this down and I got to talk to this person. So uh, there were three people actually that I talked to on the phone. Um, and once we got on the phone and, and we're actually able to have a personal conversation, that immediately just de-escalated things. Um, so, so I think having that personal approach, uh, I'm going to tell a quick story about whenever uh, I was in hospitality because this is one that stands out to me. Uh, I worked at a hotel resort that was on the beach. And uh, if you're familiar with the beaches here in Northwest Florida, they're beautiful, white sand, uh, beautiful emerald color water. And I had a, a guest that came up to the front desk. She was upset. So they came back and got me. And while I'm talking to her, she she was upset because the place where she was sitting on the pool deck, they were closing down and they were going to use it for a special event. And the first thing that came to my mind, well, we have these chairs out on the beach. This is where everybody wants to sit. But they're like $50 a day for two chairs. So I'm going to go ahead and get her set up there and and take care of that. And she said, okay. She walked away. About five minutes later, she came back 
screaming at me <laughs> and and uh I, I was just blown away um and and she felt that i i was taking advantage of her not listening to her um treating her differently because she was a woman than i would if, if she was a man and and that i mean that affected me personally i was like I, I was just upset at myself that 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 it came across that way um so i realized that getting on that personal level, I didn't, I wouldn't sat down with her, but I didn't listen to her and say, you know, why is it that you're upset? Is this something that you would actually like to do? She didn't want to sit on the beach. She didn't like getting sandy. Some people don't like sand. Um, she wanted to sit in that chair by the pool and just taking the time to understand why she was upset uh, really helped to deescalate that. And that's what I try to do uh, in, in any kind of situation. It's hard to do that when I have I mean, there's 54,000 ish people in Pensacola and a seventh of those are in my district. Um, so it's difficult to do that with everybody. But but on a one by one basis, uh, I try to do that as much as I can. What's the silliest thing you think somebody has said about you, either in your career or in your your political career? Like, I'm sure people people are yelling about roads and everything else or in your career, there's different things. But what's the like? the goofiest thing you've had somebody say where you're like, without putting a whole lot of thought on this, the first thing that pops into my head is uh, the comment that I hear so often that says, follow the money, you know, and look at these backroom deals that must be happening. And I'm like, I don't even know how that could happen. Where is this backroom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. So I, I, um, I, I will go to coffee with somebody and they'll offer to pay for my $3 coffee. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. It, it could you know, it could look bad. It's 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 not ethical for a politician to get paid off in any way, even if it's a cup of coffee. Um, so so that is something that sometimes to me seems silly. I understand how it may look that way, um, but with the laws that are in place, I, I really don't understand how anybody could could do that. Um, and and I know at least on the city council, the folks that I work with, uh, you know, we may disagree. But every one of them I know is a good person. And as soon as the meeting's over, I'm talking to one person about her cats that she rescued over the weekend. And I'm talking to somebody else about her grandkids and, uh, you know, or, or what, how, how their day job is going. So it's, uh, I know that, that that's something that doesn't happen, at least on city council. Um, and I don't know how anybody else would get away with actually having something like that happen. So you've, you've done a lot in leadership. What do you think that is something uh, that every leader should know? You've been around a lot of great leaders, Studer Group, other places. You've counseled people on leadership. What do you think is, if, if you're counseling somebody who's just moving into leadership, what should they know? So there's a couple things. Uh, the first thing that I think was one of the most important was to surround yourself with with the right people. Um, whether it's a mentor that, that you have that has been in your shoes before, uh, that can can help you understand how to how to navigate <clears throat> excuse me how to navigate different situations. Uh, that's really important. But also you know, the kind of the the people that support you on your team uh, in your leadership role. Uh, I I think about uh, this assistant director that I had when I was a director of, of front office operations at a hotel, and he he had been there for 15 years before I started, and we were. Uh, the first thing we did was talk about, you know, what are the things that you like to do in this job? What are the things that, that you think that you're good at? And, and those are the things that I had him working on as much as possible. And then over time, we kind of learned, you know, what, what things each of us worked better at. 
Uh, and those are the duties that we did because it just worked better that way. He, he had strengths that were weaknesses of mine. Um, I'm a little ADD at times and can go off on different squirrel trails. And <laughs> he, he was not that way. And he kept, he helped uh, keep things organized. And, and that's something that I've tried to do. You know, I know my weaknesses and my strengths. And I try to surround myself with people that have different strengths than me um, and, and weaknesses that I can help fill those gaps. You, you talked a little bit about um, your interest in Studer Group uh, because you knew that they were like an all-star cast. Uh, and you're excited to be there because I think there's a, a really important theory, especially in like the music world where I, I spend some time. You get better when you're around people that are better at things than you are, right? Like if you're around people that are kind of on your skill level, you kind of stagnate a little bit. So what are some of the best and most impactful things that you took away from that all-star cast? Like, man, I would have never known that had I not worked here. Yeah, I like that you bring that up. It's that old uh, biblical adage of iron sharpens iron, right? Um, where you, you put yourself around people that are, are strong, um, I think one thing that, that really helped me, I, I was always very nervous at public speaking. I remember taking public speaking classes in college and <clears throat> I would just stand really still and get very monotone and very deep and quiet because that's the only way I could get through it. <laughs> but uh, I, I actually went through uh, a, a speaker training there that, that they put a lot of the employees through um, with a guy named Terrell Bechtel. Um, he's also known as T. Bubba Bechtel uh, in the comedy world. And he actually just passed away a few months ago, unfortunately. But he was, I mean, he, he trained so many people that went on to be national speakers. And that was their primary duty and their job that were trained by this guy. And uh, you know, I think being with him and some other great speakers that, that worked in the organization, I would try to learn about, you know, the way that they did it and make that my own and, and learn some techniques th about the nerves and how to, how to get over those nerves. Uh, I still get nervous anytime I go up in front of people. <laughs> what would he say about, uh, about public speaking? Like what, what are the things that he taught you about that? So one of the big things was uh, just just being confident. You know, it, it shows when you're not confident. Uh, I right before I got onto this podcast, I, I was thinking, all right, I need to need to think about the way that I'm speaking and the way that I'm acting because I was nervous before I got on with you guys to to tell you the truth. And then you saw, us <laughs> um, and you thought, oh, if these guys yeah. are the hosts, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I've known Franklin since I was five. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's a big piece of it. Um, getting to know your audience. One one thing, uh, I, we worked with a lot of people in healthcare, of course, and there was this one physician that I worked with, and he was uh, he was at, at this event. He was getting ready to speak, and I was sitting behind him in the audience, and I see him on the website of this organization going through their leadership team, looking at the different people's names and trying to find them in the audience. Um, he's reading their mission, their vision, and their values, and and he uses all that in his speech or in his presentation that, that he's doing. And that's something that that I took a, a lot away from. I was like, I need to know my audience as much as possible because I am sometimes known to tell bad dad jokes uh, whenever I'm presenting. And <laughs> if, if I get a feeling that these people aren't aren't up for for these jokes, I need to just cut them out and and be a little more serious. Um, so so that's something that that I think was really important when you're doing that type of a presentation. 
So I've got another uh, concept that we could go through. So this, is, I think, applies uh, globally to both, you know, just organizational leadership, but also uh, in your political position. How do you manage expectations from people who want very different things and walk away so that everybody's kind of okay with the decision that's made? It's kind of a negotiation process, right? Yeah. You know, I think you have to be careful not to come off as patronizing for one thing. Um you know, I, I caught myself in a disagreement with someone and saying, you know, I, I understand that, but this is what I think. And, and, and that's, that's what I'm going to do <laughs> where, you know, putting yourself actually in somebody's shoes. Uh, you know, one thing that, that we coached a lot at student group was compassion. And, uh, you know, you, compassion is the action that you have when you're empathizing with somebody. So you empathize, you put yourself in somebody's shoes and having compassion is that action that you're showing towards them. And I, I think that, that that's something that you have to do whenever you're in a conversation and a negotiation in a um, disagreement with somebody is understand where they're coming from. And that's the thing with politics today is oftentimes, you know, everybody's either far right or far left. And that's what I love about city of Pensacola politics, at least is it's, it's, it's not, it's nonpartisan. So um, you can work with other people. Um, that, that's where I see, you know, when people have these huge disagreements, they're not trying to understand where the other person's coming from. And that's, that's the first thing I do is, is try to say, why does this person feel this way? Um, you know, explain to them why I may feel differently, help them get in my shoes as well, and then work through it like that. That's so interesting. So, so let's lean into that for a second. So compassion as a concept that, that you were, you were pushing really hard at Studer Group, how does that become um, an asset when you're trying to build a business? How, like teaching and, and instilling compassion into your employees, how does that help the organization move forward? You know, I think you could do it with any type of organization. We worked with a lot of healthcare organizations, so I think it's obvious why you need compassion there because people are in uh, kind of dire straits a lot of times. You know, you have family members that are that are losing their their father or mother or child, um, and oftentimes we hear of these healthcare providers that are just so callous because they see it every day, um, and and it's it's just another day to them. But they need to empathize, put themselves in that in that person's shoes um, to, to try to understand how to have compassion for them and what they're going through. I think you can do that in any business, especially, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with customers, whether you're a business to business type uh, sales or you're, you're selling directly to consumers, you're going to have people that, that are not happy with something uh, working at, at hotels, especially resort hotels. It was, you know, somebody's checking in, they're, they come in, they're already mad at you for some reason. Um, and you can't figure out why. And one thing that I, I would try to instill in my employees is, Hey, this person has been in their car for eight hours with those three kids right there that are still fighting. <laughs> Think about how you would feel after eight hours with those three kids. Um, so, so understanding where they're coming from, why they're upset, uh, is something that I think you can do with, with, with any kind of business. And even when you're going into sales, I think you need to understand, um, <clears throat> who you're selling to, what they're going through, uh, you know, working in healthcare consulting in the time of COVID, uh, you're dealing, like I said earlier, you're dealing with someone that just had to shut down all their surgical services or just shut down all of their clinics. 
And they're trying to figure out how they're even going to stay open because they're not bringing any money in. Um, so, so trying to understand that whenever you're saying, hey, I want you to give me some money so I can come in and help you with that uh, <laughs> is something that I think is important to do as well. And when you're shifting over to, I know that you've also served on some like transportation planning boards and, and city council boards and things like that. Is it harder to muster that same empathy and compassion when at the end of the day, you're talking about asphalt and painting lanes onto a road or, or what's, how's that work out? You know, I, the, so yeah, uh, one of the, they call it the TPO transportation planning organization is one of the boards that I serve on now. It's made up of 20 something uh, people that are in different offices in the region. Um, and and you know, there's, there's one, I'm going to keep talking about roads, but, but that, that's, that is a hot topic. And I think it is something that you have to think about who is affecting. Um, so one of our neighboring cities, Milton, Florida, uh, they've got this little two lane road that runs right through their downtown. Um, and they're trying to revitalize their downtown. Well, the Department of Transportation wants to widen that road to four lanes um, so they can get traffic moving through through there a lot faster. Well, a lot of the people in Milton and uh, their entire city council, in fact, wants does not want that to happen because they want people to be able to walk uh, down the street. They want people to be able to cross the road and go to the different restaurants um, or shops that are there. So that that's where, you know, again, it's back to the people. Um, it's not just the asphalt, but how does that asphalt affect people? And, and getting to understand that helps me make decisions. Um, and, and there have been decisions, you know, there's been things that I voted for that after the fact, I was like, man, I, now that I see it a little differently, I wish I would have voted differently. Um, hopefully I have a chance to correct that down the road. So you talked about compassion. What other character traits do you think are important for someone to be successful in business and in life and careers, politics, whatever, what, what other kind of character traits did you really need to kind of hone in to be, to be where you are? I would say, uh, I'm going to use the word perseverance, um, I'll, I'll, or, or even grit. There's a whole, whole book about grit. Right. Um, and, and I think you have to balance that with, with other things that are going in your, on in your life as well. Um, you know, there, when times get hard, are you going to put your head down and keep going or are you just going to give up? And I'll admit there have been times in my life where I'd said, okay, this is hard. Um, it's not worth the effort to push through this. Uh, but if you're starting a business, especially, or, or trying to make a business successful, I think perseverance is the only thing that, uh, the only way to go is, is to keep pushing um, and, until you achieve what you're looking to achieve. Can you work that muscle? Can you can you build that muscle up over time? Is that it? Because it's a it's not a natural thing, right? It's not natural. It's not it's not natural feeling for any human being to push past friction or to push past failure and block out negative, you know, chatter. You have to kind of like put yourself in a mindset and give yourself some like mental mantras and things and and go. It, have you found mm -hmm. that that's a muscle that you can you can get make stronger is, is to kind of block out the haters and and persevere? I think with anything, it's uh, it takes practice. You just got to you got to do it. And, uh, you know, if it's at the little things, you know, I, one thing that I got really into a while back um, was CrossFit. <laughs> I was way out of shape. Um, surprisingly, I just finished up the Appalachian Trail. It's about six months later where I just 
didn't do anything uh, for that six months because I was over walking. <laughs> I, I decided to start doing CrossFit and, and man, you know, any kind of intense exercise like that, whether it's a boot camp or, or something else that's similar, uh, there are times where you just want to quit. Or there are times when you have to do 20 reps and you're going to say you're going to count by twos and <laughs> try to finish earlier. Uh, but, but I think, you know, doing that really helped me even to, um, to gain that or strengthen that muscle of perseverance where uh, even though, you know, something was really difficult, uh, I'm competitive and I want to win things and I'm going to keep pushing uh, and hopefully win or at least uh, not be last. That's, that's usually what was my goal was not to be last. <laughs> I mean, CrossFit, I guess we could sort of let that look. I love CrossFit. CrossFit, CrossFit sent me into back surgery. So I, I'm going to do, I got to do lower octane stuff like, but uh, so the kind of, one of the last things I wanted to dive into was, you know, when you, when you're at where you're at in your career, um, you have to have gotten very good at putting yourself out there. And that takes like, I know we talked about sort of like the courage to sort of block out, but what about the courage to get started? Or what about, um, the fear that people have to put yourself out there? And I, I know you did a lot of that in your career, the idea that you're going to put yourself out there and, and run for a, any kind of political office is a uh, is a nerve wracking thing. So, if you were talking to somebody, giving somebody advice that was getting ready to take a big leap and they were afraid and they didn't think they could do it or they were afraid of the criticism that they were going to get, what advice would you give somebody to help them take that big leap? This really hits home with me because I, I think that putting myself out there often goes against my, just my nature and even my faith, you know, as, as a, a Christian, I, I'm try, I try to be humble. That's something that I feel like I'm led to, to do. Um, but that isn't always the way to get, to move forward in business or politics. Uh, you know, it, it was actually working at Studer Group. Um, I had started a new role about a year in and it was me and one other person that had this role. And she had been in this role for a long time and she was really good at putting herself out there and, and I was not. So um, I knew that that I probably wasn't doing what I needed to do. Um, and I had a, a boss that that really pushed me. He said, you're going to have to put yourself out there. You're going to have to uh, start reaching out to people and, and offering to work with them. You're going to have to you know, volunteer to do different different uh, things that you wouldn't do otherwise. Uh, speaking at, at these national conferences that we had, that was something that was terrifying to me at first, um, you know, getting up in front of a thousand or 2000 people and, and speaking about a topic that, um, you know, to, to these healthcare leaders, some of them that have been doing healthcare for 30 years and uh, trying to help them learn something. That was, that was scary at first. Um, but my advice would be, just to do it, <laughs> you have to to uh, to just kind of put put some some of your uh, your natural instincts of of just hiding out um, or coasting aside if that's something that's natural to you, and and just put yourself out there, and eventually you're going to get comfortable with it. Um, I still we were at the soccer fields a couple of weeks ago. My five year old just recently started playing soccer. And as we're walking out, somebody was like, Hey, I've been seeing you on the news a lot lately. And I'm still like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. It was, it was for good stuff, but, um, you know, it's still, it's still not comfortable for me. 
um, to put myself out there. But but I know that that's the only way that um, I'm going to be successful. That's the only way that on, on city council wise, that's the only way I'm going to get stuff passed is if I, uh, you know, put myself out there, explain my reason for things and, and try to uh, try to get other people on board to 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 support something. I just agree a hundred percent. Like you, you, um, you're a great example of just the idea. Frank and I talk about it a lot, like this, this concept of sort of progress over perfection. I think a lot of people don't begin public speaking because they don't feel like they're very good at it and they don't ever become very good at it because they don't ever do it. Um, I think, you know, you get on TV, you get on, I mean, we're doing this podcast, like, I hope that we're a lot better in episode 50 than we are in episode two, right? And we're working on it, folks. Like we're going to, you know, I I just feel like, you know, the average person fails to get where they want to go because they just don't take the first step. Like that first step is the hardest one to take. And then you're kind of already moving. And then you're, then you realize that like the criticism that you get, it just isn't all that bad. And it, and you realize that most of the time, the criticism that you're getting is coming from people that aren't even in the arena and would never have the occur- the courage to get in the or aren't actually trying to solve a problem. They're just throwing some kind of angst at at a person or an idea. They're not even really talking about you personally. I've had to sort of wrap my head around that. Um, you know, as as Proctor U became kind of a, a very widely used product, we got all sorts of crazy stuff. People saying people saying things about my mother all the time on Twitter. Like, come on, man. You know, my, my mom's a saint, right? But you, but they don't know me personally or my mother. And so they, for me, I had to get to a place where once I understood that people were attacking an abstract idea, then it made it a lot easier for me to keep moving because it really wasn't about me. It was about this. It was about their thoughts about something that I was connected to. Very, very different than them talking about me sort of directly. And I just think if more people would realize that the people that get somewhere in life are um, are the ones that just take action, even if that action isn't super pretty or super polished and they just keep doing it, the people that are really, really good at things, are it's because they've done it a lot and they've gotten really good at it. Oh, yeah. 100%. Casey, one of the last things I wanted to circle back to is um, you talked a little bit about being a competitive person, right? And business is obviously a competitive space and even politics can be incredibly competitive. How do you separate the natural competitiveness and be able to fold that into working together to achieve the same goal? Sometimes when you're in a business, it can get a little bit toxic because you're all working for the same company and you're supposed to be trying to achieve the same goal, but you can't help but notice that the director or the manager or the city councilman next to you is just like subverting what you're trying to do. Like, so can you talk a little bit about that challenge and kind of how you've worked through that? Cause I know that's going to happen on the city council, especially. Oh yeah. I think, I think city council is a perfect example of, of this because you've got seven people um, and you have to have at least four of them vote for something for it to pass. So, uh, you know, you may have that one person that, that is going against it or two people that's going against something that you're trying to do. Well, let me let me bring those other four people back uh, to to vote for this. Um, but I, I would say I'm going to keep harping on this the the personal side of things. Um, if I can bring in 
uh, someone to a conversation, a one-on-one conversation. And I can't do that with city council because of uh, Florida sunshine laws, you know, but we're a, a seven person group that has to talk in a public meeting, but making those personal connections outside the meeting, talking about the grandkids or the cats or the, the, the day job, um, it, it's that concept of helping to build that personal bank account. Um, and I'm putting deposits into that bank account that later on I might need to make a withdrawal. And um, if I've made enough of those deposits and those those positive uh, moments with that person, then hopefully they'll be okay with me making that withdrawal and asking something of them. That's interesting. That that's always been tough for me in a in a, an environment like that because I tend to be more private. So it's it's not natural to reach out and ask about somebody's cats because I don't necessarily care. <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, I definitely see, I see the importance of it, right? The, uh, the bank account metaphor makes a lot of sense. So <laughs> people don't want to help you unless they think you genuinely care. And so you have to, you have to make yourself care. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, if you're, if you're a curmudgeonly old soul, like Franklin, like it's hard to make <laughs> yourself, I'm kidding. Uh, anyway, so Casey, it's been a pleasure having you here. Um, thank you so much for for sharing some of your story with us and, and the wisdom that you've you've gotten uh, at the ripe old age of I think forty. Is that where you are? Are we not? I am forty and a half. Forty and a half. So uh, we appreciate all the wisdom. Thank you so much, by the way, for taking care of my hometown. Uh, I love it down there and uh, want to see the best. And it takes people getting engaged and doing stuff to make things happen. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great talking to you.